Amen. Amen. Now, listen, here's what I need you to do before we get started. Go ahead and hit that share button again if you haven't done it yet. Go ahead and hit the like button and then take about 30 seconds and give me some hearts. Give me some fire. Go ahead and click the button. If you're on your cell phone, you can just hit those buttons at the bottom. You know, give some hearts, give some fire. How many of you are excited about the word of God? You know, I, I say that all the time, but I'm, I'm tr I truly mean it. I love God's word. It is a sustaining um, foundation in my life. Uh, when things come that are unexpected, uh, that sometimes could rock me to my core, it is the word of God who allows me to keep standing. And so what I would like to do this morning is to share that word with you, because I believe that there's coming a time that we're going to absolutely, unequivocally, more than we ever have before, we're going to have to be rooted in this thing we call the lifestyle of righteousness. So we're going to start this morning. We've been talking about this for several weeks. We go back to even around Easter time when we started talking about the resurrected life, right? We're going to be talking about a lifestyle of righteousness. This is part four. And today's message is about being dead to sin and understanding grace. It is amazing to me uh, the number of people who are grabbing hold of another gospel. And I'm going to say it like that, another gospel. It is not the gospel that the Apostle Paul uh, delivered. Uh, it's not the gospel that Jesus Christ came and established. It is this, this new gospel, which is a false gospel, that somehow because Jesus came and died for our sins, that we no longer have an obligation to live righteous, that somehow living righteous is, is old school, that is something that's, this, this, that, that we don't need to do anymore, we don't need to focus on anymore. And, and it couldn't be further from the truth. And so I want us to, to still stay where we were at this idea of a lifestyle of righteousness. But let's look at what the word of God has to say about it. You don't need to hear what Pastor Edwin has to think about it. You don't need to hear what Pastor Sean has to think about it because at the end of the day, if it's just our opinion, it doesn't matter. But as believers, we ought to be able to go to the word of God and we ought to be able to see what the word of God says and let that be our final authority. And so this morning, I want us to hop right into uh, where we were last week and then we'll finish up at the end with something a little new. But I want to begin again in Colossians chapter three, because Colossians chapter three, verse one through three is such a foundation. It is such a foundation for for, for what we need to have in our lives. So I'm going to read Colossians 1 through 3, uh, and I just want you to hear it. And, and those of you who are here with me this morning, I don't always ask you to do that, but because of how I'm going to teach this this morning, you may want to get you a pen and paper. You may want to get you a pencil. You may want to get your phone. You may want to get your iPad or tablet. And some of these scriptures, we're going to go through fairly quickly. And so what you're going to want to do is just write the scriptures down, right? Because then you can go back and study them on your own. Because one thing I know for sure, we only retain about 3% of what we hear, right? So everything I'm going to say today, there's probably going to be one or two things that'll be a takeaway from you. But if you go back and you begin to study this out, uh, there are many, many more takeaways I'm sure that you'll get from that, okay? So let's go to Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 through 3. Here's what it says. I'm going to read this out of the mirror translation. It says, you are, in fact, raised together with Christ. Praise God. That's something to give God praise for. It says, and now that you've been raised together with Christ, it says, now ponder with persuasion the consequences of your co-inclusion in him. 
It says relocate yourselves mentally. I love that. Relocate yourselves mentally and then engage your thoughts with throne room realities where you are co-seated with Christ in the executive authority of God's right hand. It says, and then become affectionately acquainted with throne room thoughts because they will keep you from being distracted again by the earthly soul ruled realm. Last one, verse three says, your union with his death, it broke the association with that world. He says, now see yourselves located in a fortress where your life is hidden with Christ in God. I just want you to think about that for just a second. There are several things that Paul is saying in this particular epistle. He says, look, he says, you have, in fact, been raised together with Christ. He says, in other words, you know, just like Christ died where he bore all of our sins and he got up sinless. He says, you too, when you have made a commitment to God, when you have been saved from your sins, past, present, and future, he says, you are in fact raised together with Christ. And then he uses this word, he says, ponder. It means to think about. It means to meditate upon. It means to spend time with. He says, ponder with the persuasion the consequences of your co-inclusion. He says, think about what it really means to be included with Christ. He says, don't take it casually. Don't just let it be something, oh, I'm a born again Christian. He says, no, really think about the consequences of what that means to have died with Christ and to have gotten up with him. He says, and once you do that, he says, now you have to relocate yourself. He said, because you spent time in this world and this world has a wrong perspective. It has a wrong way of thinking. It has a wrong way of being. He says, you need to relocate yourselves mentally. That means I have to become, and we use this word all the time. I have to become metacognitive. I have to think about my thinking. Why is it important for me to understand that I have been risen with Christ? Why is it important for me to understand that I am no longer a slave to sin. Why are those things important? He says, you got to relocate yourself mentally and then you got to engage your thoughts. What does that mean? I got to go to the word of God and I got to find out where truth is because that's where truth lies. Truth is not just fact. Truth is whatever it is that God has said, because if God says it, it becomes true. He says, so engage your thoughts with those realities, right? He says, and then become affectionately acquainted with those thoughts because they will keep you from being distracted. So many believers right now during this time are being distracted from things in the world that are keeping them from the word of God. All this new age talk, all this new age teaching, even the idea that, that, that we don't actually need to ask God to forgive us of our sins because we've already been forgiven of our sins. And there's no reason to, to think about um, having to ask God for direction because he loves us uh, so much that he's just going to uh, be there with us always. And there's not going to be any consequence. All of those things are just wrong. They're just wrong. It's not what God has established in what we consider to be the authority of who God is, which is the word of God. He then says this. He says, if you don't become affectionately acquainted with those right thoughts, he says, you will become distracted. And I like what he says again. You'll become a distracted again, which means that it is possible for me as a believer. Watch this to have had the right thoughts 
but then to allow something to come and distract me. And now I'm distracted again, meaning I'm back in the same situation I was before, before I was having the right thoughts, the right mental attitudes and all of those things. He says, so don't do that. He then finishes it up by saying this. He says, see yourselves located in a fortress where your life is hidden with Christ. In other words, he says, see yourself behind uh, an enclosed wall, behind stone walls, behind gates with guards so that what's out there in the world can't get in and pollute you. He says, see yourself so intimately acquainted with God that nothing can come in and stop you from being exactly who God has called you to be. Okay, and then we go to verse five. In verse five, Paul continues talking to the Colossians. And you say, well, Pastor, why is all this important? Because what he's trying to get them to understand is that they need to rectify once and for all who they are in Christ and what is the gospel of Jesus Christ so they can never be fooled again. In verse five, he says, consider the members of your body as dead and, bur and buried uh, towards everything related to the porn industry sensual uncleanliness, longing for forbidden things, lust and greed, which are just another form of idol worship. And if you remember, we talked about this uh, weeks and weeks and weeks ago. We said that idol worship is simply worshiping a distorted image of yourself. And so anytime that we begin to desire and want and go after something that is contrary to God's best for us, we begin to worship that thing because we're worshiping a distorted image of ourselves. We, we, are, we are not part of the porn industry. We are not controlled by sensual uncleanliness. We are not um, drawn away by the lust of our own flesh, by longing for forbidden things. No, we do not worship um, a, 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 a distorted image of ourselves because we rectify that we are complete in Christ. It's why it says in verse six, these distorted expressions he says they're in total contradiction to God's design and desire for your life. He says we were all once swept away along into a lifestyle of lust and greed. But now because you realize that you co-died and were co-raised, praise God, with Christ, you can now flush your thoughts with truth. He says you can flush your thoughts with truth. I think this is important. He says you can flush your thoughts. He didn't say, I'm going to come in and sweep in like a raging wildfire or flood, and I'm going to change your thoughts. He says, you can now flush your thoughts with truth. He says, permanently put these things behind you. That means that I put them behind me once and for all. I don't keep going back. I don't keep trying to revisit. When God says something isn't good for me, I don't try to contemplate how much of it I can still get. No, 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 no. What I do is I focus on what God has said and I put those things behind me. He says things such as violent outbursts of rage, depression, all manner of wickedness and slander and every form of irregular conversation irregular conversation. He says all of that negative talk, all that perverse language. He says, put that stuff behind you permanently. He says that old life that you had, he said, man, that was a lie. It was foreign to our original design. Those garments of disguise are now thoroughly stripped off of us. Somebody ought to give God some praise for that. Those old garments are thoroughly stripped off of us. In other words, when I find myself sinning, I have to remind myself that is not who I am. That is not who I am. That old life, that thing was a lie. It was foreign to my original design. Those garments of disguise that I used to wear when I was going around, uh, 
cussing and, 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 and drinking and sleeping around and, and having a bad attitude and having violent outbursts of anger and rage and, and, and desiring things that, that God said that I was supposed to leave alone. Those things have been stripped off of me. He says they have been stripped off of us in our understanding of our union with Christ in his death and in his resurrection. That is so important for us to understand because when we do, he says we are no longer uh, uh, obligated to live under the identity and the rule of the robes we wore before. In other words, I don't have to be tricked into thinking that's just who I am. Oh, well, you know, when I get mad, I just go off on people. That's just who I am. No, 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 no. He says those things been stripped away from you. Well, Pastor, you know, it's just running my bloodline. We go off on people. No, 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 no. He says that's not who you are anymore. He says you are no longer uh, obligated. You are no longer required. You no longer have to live under that identity and the rule uh, of what that used to be. He says those things that you wore before, he says those things aren't you anymore. He says, and he says, neither are we cheating anyone through false pretense. In other words, I'm not trying to, to act like I'm something I'm not. I'm telling you that because of what Jesus Christ did, I no longer have to identify as a sinner. Well, Pastor, everybody is a sinner. No, 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 no. There are times I may sin, but I am not a sinner. I don't live a life where I am practicing sin. Why? Because I died with Christ as a sinner and I got up born again sinless. And I have to remember that because that's going to help me to relocate myself mentally and it's going to help me to engage my thought with throne room realities. Verse 10, we'll finish up Colossians. He says this, we stand fully identified fully identified in the new creation, renewed in knowledge, according to the pattern, the pattern of the exact image of our creator. He says, we stand fully identified. In other words, we know who we are. In fact, somebody go ahead and type that in the comment section. There's about 60 of you this morning. Type in the comment section. I know who I am in Christ. Come on, say that. I know who I am in Christ. He says, we stand fully identified in the new creation, renewed in knowledge, according to the pattern. Means we live like Jesus lived. We talk like Jesus talked. We walk like Jesus walked. He says, we have been renewed in knowledge according to the pattern of the exact image of our creator. And so when we talk about this lifestyle of righteousness, we use Colossians as our foundation because Paul is telling them exactly who they are in Christ and telling them, don't you forget it. And this is not this is not just exclusive to the, to the Colossians. Right. Because Paul makes a similar declaration in Galatians 1, 6 through 9. In Galatians 1, 6 through 9, here's what he says. He says, I am astonished that you all are so quickly deserting him, Christ, who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. See, he says you're turning to a different gospel. That's what we see happening all across our country. Um, and I can't speak for in, internationally, but I know here in America, it is, it is this fast-growing doctrine, this fast-growing false theology that somehow we can do whatever we want to do and it doesn't matter because God loves us. But that just doesn't make any sense. God is a heavenly father. 
And earthly fathers are patterned after that, even if we don't know it. So think about it. What good earthly father would love his kids so much that he would just let them do anything? That doesn't make any sense whatsoever. And neither does it make sense with our heavenly father. And Paul says to them, man, I'm astonished that you guys are so quickly deserting who have called you in this grace of Christ and are now turning to a different gospel. He says, but be clear, not that there is another one. He says, there's not even another gospel. He said, but there are some people who have been coming in trying to trouble you and they want to distort the true gospel of Christ. He says, even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one that we preach to you, he says, man, they're going to be accursed. He says, as we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone, and hear me, if anyone, I don't care how popular they are. I don't care how big their church is. I don't care how, how famous they are. I don't care what signs, wonders, and miracles may be taking place in their ministry. He says, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel that is contrary to the one that you have received, he says, let him be accursed. And so anyone who's trying to grow their ministry by telling people that it really doesn't matter how you live, as long as you say you love God, that is a different gospel. That is a different gospel. There is a standard for how believers should live, and it is laid out a multitude of time through Scripture. So the Apostle Paul says, listen, don't be those people who so quickly uh, leave the gospel that you know because someone's teaching you something now that sounds good to your flesh, something that's tickling your ears, something that is that's giving you a, a, a license, so to speak, to sin, because it's just not appropriate. I love the book of Galatians, of Galatians because in, in, in the book of Galatians, the Apostle Paul begins to give a beautiful explanation of what the gospel message, the good news about Jesus Christ truly is. Paul begins to explain how Jesus gave his life to pay for human sin before being returned to life by God the Father. What we just read in Colossians 3, coupled with this epistle to the Galatians, is what scholars call the substitutionary atonement. The substitutionary atonement. Pastor Edwin, what is the substitutionary atonement? That simply means that Jesus took our place and paid the full penalty for our sins. Because without that, we would be trapped and doomed to death instead of delivered from this present evil age. And that's what it says in Galatians chapter 1, verse 4. It says literally Jesus came and took our place. He became the payment so that we could get bonded out of sin. You know, if you do something wrong and you go to jail, they have to get a bail's bondsman to bond you out. Well, Jesus became our bail's bondsman. He, he, he paid the ultimate price. He, he was the substitutionary atonement for us. He came and he died for our sins so that we didn't have to be in bondage to sin. Now, compare this to Paul's other writings. Paul begins this letter to the Galatian church rather abruptly. Paul's letters, if you, if you study them out, they usually open with some kind of praise, some kind of thanksgiving to his readers. But not when he writes to the Galatians. He immediately expresses how baffled he is that these people who receive the good news about salvation by God's grace and through faith in Christ, have so quickly deserted that teaching. 
And, 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 and when I am talking to some of the partners in our church and, 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 and they start to listen to some of these other teachers and these other people and they come back and they begin to ask me, you know, some of these kind of questions, I, I understand why the Apostle Paul was frustrated. He's like, how are you now leaving the gospel that you know is true just because it, it lessens your responsibility to live like something? You don't accept the gospel because it causes you to live like something. We don't go down to another level. As champions, we rise to another level. We rise to an occasion. And we rise to the occasion that the Bible says there are certain things we should and shouldn't do. And as believers, we live by that standard. Listen, and sometimes we miss it. But when we miss it, we don't just revel in it. We don't say, well, oh, since I missed it, that must not be the standard. We say, no, Father, help me live to that standard. Paul has heard that they are deserting the gospel, which he preached and which they believe. The good news that Jesus died to fully pay for all of our sins on the cross. That was what he had preached to them. He had preached to them that gospel. And then the Judaizers was coming in and was trying to teach the Gentiles that they must also follow the law of Moses to be saved and openly question Paul's authority. Paul makes the case that he has been made an apostle by Christ himself, who appeared to him and revealed the truth to him apart from the other apostles. Paul then turns fully to the reason for his letter. And he speaks directly to the people who believe the gospel of Jesus when he told them about it on his first missionary journey to their region. And that's what I want to do today. I'm talking to Fellowship of Champions, Church International Partners, and I am letting you know that there is no other gospel, even when they call it the gospel of grace. The gospel of grace is not a license to live like you want. The, and someone asked me the other day, they said, Pastor Edwin, are you frustrated? I'm not frustrated. What I am is I'm perplexed that those of us who know God, those of us who have walked with God, those of us who have trusted God would now throw that ideology away to run toward a theology that says I can do whatever I want to. Can you imagine being in a marriage relationship? And in that marriage relationship saying to your spouse, well, because you love me, I can do anything I want to to you. There's not a single relationship that would function any length of time with that kind of ideology. And so it doesn't make sense that those of us who say, I know that Jesus died for me. I know that he took all my sins, that he paid a price that I could never pay. And so because he loved me so much that he'd do that for me, I'm going to do whatever to him. That just doesn't make sense. So no, Pastor Edwin isn't frustrated, but as an apostle of this house, it, it does perplex me when I begin to think about the number of people who are even questioning the idea of whether grace means I can do what I want to. The Bible clearly says, and we'll see this in Romans when Paul asked the question, he says, do we continue in sin that grace may abound? And then he answers the question before they could say anything. He says, God forbid or heaven forbid. Or certainly not, depending on which translation you read. But he says, no way does this mean we can do whatever we want to just because God loves us. He says that is a false gospel. And so the Apostle Paul was frustrated with his readers. If not angry, he is, in fact, astonished that they are so quickly turned away from the simple truth. More specifically, when Paul writes to the Galatians that they are desert, he says to them they are deserting or abandoning Christ himself. We read this the other week. We won't go into it today, but we read this in Jude. 
in Jude, Jude 1 through 4, we actually see where the Bible says, vile men have slithered in among us who beneath their pious skin are shameless scoundrels. They have made a mockery of the grace given to us. He says, their design is to replace the sheer grace of God which with a sheer license for a life of excess, live without any thought of God. So when Paul says to the Galatians, he says, I'm concerned and astonished that you are deserting or abandoning Christ himself by believing this different idea, by believing this different gospel than the one that I preach to you. He says, I, I don't understand it. He says, because literally the people who are talking to you are trying to set you up so that you can live a license. So you can have a, a life that gives you a license to sin, to live in excess. But we know this isn't true. We know this isn't true. In fact, go ahead and type this in the comment section. It says God say God's grace is not a license to sin. God's grace is not a license to sin. God's grace is not a license to sin. Amen. It's just not. And so let's look at what it says in Romans 12, 1 through 2. In Romans 12, chapter 1, Romans chapter 12, verse 1 through 12, the New Living Translation, it says this. It says, and so dear brothers and sisters, this is Paul talking again. He says, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. He says, let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship and to honor him. He says, don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world. He says, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think, by changing the way you think. Let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Remember, we got to relocate ourselves mentally, and then we have to engage in thermal realities. When we do our part, God then transforms us into a new being by the way we think. He says, and then you will learn to know God's will for you. As you walk with God, God reveals more and more and more of his will for your life. I had no idea 22 years ago that this is the thing that God would be having me to do today. But as I walk with God every single day, you find out more and more and more about what God wants to do for you. He says, this is truly the way to worship and to honor him. He says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. And then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect in every way. It's good, it's pleasing, and it's perfect in every way. We see this is not just something that shows up one time, but even in the Old Testament. Even in the Old Testament, in Leviticus, it says in Leviticus 20 and 7, it says, consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am the Lord your God. He says, consecrate yourself. That means there's a part we have to play, y'all. There's a part we have to do. Consecration is not an outward thing that's just going to happen to us. We have to engage that. We have to engage with consecration to consecrate ourselves. We have a saying around here at Fellowship of Champions. We say you have to participate 
in your own rescue. In other words, if I throw you a life ring, you at least got to grab hold to it. You at least got to hold on to it. And so the Bible says in Leviticus 27, it says, consecrate yourselves. Why? Because God is our Lord. Now, what I want to do is I want to take a moment. I want to look at Romans 6. I want to take a moment and look at Romans 6, 1 through 15. All the scriptures aren't going to pop up on the screen. That's fine. I just want you to hear it because this is what I told you several weeks ago that I wanted you to go read and to spend time studying because I knew this is where we were going to end up and I did not want this to be new to you. So hopefully those of you who did that, you're ready to go. Those who didn't, it's okay. Just follow along with us. Write this down. You can study it this week. But I want to read some things out of Romans chapter 6, verse 1 through 15. Because this is the Apostle Paul writing to the Romans, right? It's, it's, it's almost right in the middle of the epistle. You know, we divide. he didn't write this as chapter and verse, but it's been divided into chapter and verse. But in the letter itself, it lies right in the middle. And I want you to see what he says. Romans chapter 6, verse 1 through 14. He's been talking to them uh, about, about, about the resurrection of Christ, their death with him. And then he says to them in Romans 6, verse 1, it says, what shall we say then? What shall we say? He says, shall we continue in sin so that grace may abound? And Paul answers the question for them. He says, God forbid. He says, not only should we not continue in sin so that somehow grace abounds, he says, but how shall we that are dead to sin, remember we died with Christ, how can we live any longer therein? Or in other words, he says, if we're dead to sin, how can we then live in sin? He says, verse three, know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. And when he's talking about baptism here, it's a twofold. It's not just water baptism. OK, it's a baptism of your heart. It's a dipping of your heart, because if your heart doesn't get dipped and all you do is get dipped, then you go down a dry devil and you come up a wet devil. It has to be a change of heart. Amen. So he says, know ye not that as that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. Verse four, therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death. That just like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so you and I, we also should walk, watch this, in a newness of life. Just like when Christ got up and he was resurrected, he was resurrected to a newness of life. He says, you and I should be the same way. When we come into contact with Jesus Christ and we live our lives according to the word of God, he says, then we, we die to sin. And when we get up, we should walk in a newness of life. What is that newness of life? Not living a life of sin. And I want to stress that because am I, am I trying to beat people up who make a mistake? Absolutely not. I've made mistakes. I make mistakes. I will make more mistakes. But there's a difference in missing the mark and living in missing the mark. There's a difference in living in sin and then sinning. And so what he's saying is, listen, you, 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 are, you are new. You can't live to sin like you used to. Verse five says, for if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, then we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. 
knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him. Praise God. That old man is gone. That, that old man, that old woman, that old person who used to pop off at the drop of a dime, they are gone. They don't exist anymore. They have been crucified with him that the body of sin might be destroyed. That henceforth, because that body of sin we used to have has been destroyed, we should not serve sin. We should not serve sin. He says, for he that is dead, praise God, is freed from sin. So we died to sin, so we are now free from sin. Because how can those who are dead to something live according to it? Verse 8 says, now if we be dead with Christ, praise God, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more, death then has no more dominion over him. Say, sin has no dominion over me. Go ahead and type that in the comment section. It's about 65 of y'all. Say, sin has no dominion over me. I wish I had a hundred people who would say that. Sin has no dominion over me. He says, Death hath no more dominion over him, verse 10, for in that he died, he died unto sin once. One time Jesus died unto sin, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. It says, likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin. He said, just like Christ is dead to it, see yourself as dead to it. Sin doesn't rule you. You don't serve sin. He says, likewise, reckon ye also ourselves to be dead in, indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Verse 12 says, let not then sin, therefore reign in your mortal body. So we ain't talk about no spiritual stuff. He says, don't let sin be in your mortal bodies. He says, don't let it be in there so that you should obey it in the lust thereof. In other words, don't let sin so consume you that it causes you to do something outside the character of God that you know you should not be doing. Verse 13 says, neither yield, that means give up. Don't give up ye your members. Don't give up your bodies. Don't give up your, your mind, your heart as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin. It says, but, it, but if you're going to yield something and you should yield it, yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members, your heart, your mind, your actions, your attitudes as instruments of righteousness unto God. And then verse 14 says, for sin shall not have dominion over you. Listen, that's worth saying again. Say sin does not have dominion over me. That's what Paul was trying to get them to understand because they felt like, you know, we just got to keep doing these things because it's the sin in us. It's the sin in us. It's the sin in us. Listen, you have been crucified with Jesus Christ. Just like he died to sin, you have died to sin. Just like he woke up to newness of life, you too, brother and sister, are walking in a newness of life. He says, do not yield your body, your instruments. Do not yield those things to unrighteousness, but yield them to righteousness. He says, for sin has no dominion over you. 
for you are not under the law, but under grace. And out of all of that, verse 15 is what we ought to focus on. Because in verse 15, he says it like this. He says, being under grace and not under the law. Hear me, being under grace. Because everybody loves to say that nowadays. I ain't under the law, I'm under grace. But Paul says, being under grace and not under the law, most certainly, most certainly does not mean, come on somebody, that you have a license to sin. It does not give you a license to sin because God died for your sins. In fact, what grace does is it gives you the power not to sin. It gives you the power not to live in sin. That is why we see Paul, even when he writes to the Philippian church, he says to them in Philippians 1.27, he says, whatever happens, whatever's going on, whatever comes your way, he says, conduct yourselves, how? In a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. He says, you do not have to serve sin because sin doesn't have power or dominion over you. So whatever comes your way, however the world changes, however they, they try to reshape morality, whatever the, the world tells you is this or that. He says, whatever happens, he says, what you need to do is to conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Paul says, because then whether I come and see you or if I only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you man of God, that you, woman of God, that you, child of God, stand in one, stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. He says, you got to stand firm. You've got to stand firm for the faith of the gospel. He says, and this is so important because if you don't do this, he says, then what ends up happening as you end up living uh, this life that causes you to be a person who allows another gospel to come in and cause you to live differently. Now, I want to share with you real quick. I want to share with you four things that Paul provides for us as reasons why we should not continue in sin, why we should not continue in sin. And I want to look at uh, reason number one. Reason number one, Paul says we should not continue in sin is because, number one, we died to it. Somebody go ahead and type that in the comment section. Say, I am dead to sin. Oh, well, Pastor Edwin, I don't know if I can say that. Yes, you can. I am dead to sin. You can say that just like you can say I'm out of debt. My needs are met. I got plenty more to put in store. You can, If you can say that, you can say, I have died to sin. Why have we died to sin? The Bible says that we were crucified with Christ through our baptism. We read that in verses three and four. Baptism is simply a burial into the death of Christ. And as I said, it can't just be water baptism. You know, water baptism is great, but you got to have a baptism of the heart. You have Your heart has to become pliable to the things of God. Baptism is where we were crucified with Christ. We see this in Romans 6 and 6 because it says, knowing this, 
that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Go ahead and type in the comment section, say, I am not a slave to sin. I am not a slave to sin. And because you're not a slave to sin, then what are you a slave to? Well, we said last week that the apostle Paul says, I have made myself a slave to righteousness. I have made myself. I, 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 I put myself in bondage to righteousness because sin doesn't have dominion over me anymore. And so we have died to sin because we've been crucified with Christ. We also died to sin. And as a result, we now walk in newness of life. That's what he said in verse four and five. Just as Christ rose from the grave, so we rise from baptism to walk in a newness of life. Those of us who are born again Christians, we ought to behave differently than those who say that they are not. If there is no difference between those that are born again and those that are not born again, how can we then be that light that the Bible talks about that should that be should be on a that should be on top of a hill and not hidden? How do we become salt of the earth if we have lost our savor? How do we become the salt of the earth if we if we just like everybody else? He says there has to be a newness of life. And don't get me wrong. This newness of life is not about being pious. It's not about being high minded. It's not about thinking we're better than somebody else. It's about living according to God's decrees. That is the newness of life. We are new creations. We are new creatures. You know this scripture very well. Second Corinthians 5, 17, right? It says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, that he is a new creation, right? Old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. We are created new. Go ahead and type that in the comment section. Say, I am a new creation. I am a new creation. Why? Because I have died with Christ and I have risen with him. See, as a result of that, because I'm new, I'm no longer who I used to be. The Bible says like, there was a time in, in times past where I walked according uh, to the prince of this air. I walked according like the children of disobedience. But now I'm no longer a slave to sin. That's what he says in verse six and seven there. This very purpose, the very purpose of me dying to sin in baptism is so that I can be free from sin. If I'm free from sin, why do I want to keep on sinning? So that grace can abound? Well, Paul answered that question in Romans 6 and 1. He said, God, Romans 6, 1 and 2. He says, do I keep on sinning so that grace can abound? He says, God forbid, or heaven forbid, or certainly not. I, I don't keep living in something that I have been freed from. But you've got to see yourself as being freed from sin. That's what Colossians means when it says it means you need to engage in those throne room realities. What's a throne room reality that I've been freed from sin? Go ahead and type that in the comment section. Say, I've been freed from sin. I have been freed from sin. That is a throne room reality. And I need to engage and become affectionately uh, acquainted with that reality. Because I have died to sin. This is a point that Paul expounded uh, upon over and over and over again 
when he wrote to the Romans, when he wrote to the Galatians, when he wrote to the uh, Philippians, when he wrote uh, to, the, to those at Thessalonica, when he wrote to the church of Corinth in both his first and second epistle, he says to them over and over and over again, time after time, you are no longer a slave to sin. Sin does not have dominion over you. And so then as a result of that, as a result of reason number one, we died to sin. He says, we can now live with Christ. That's Romans, uh, we see that in verse eight through 10. Christ now lives with God in newness of life. When he was resurrected, the Bible says he went and he's now seated at the right hand of the father. And so because he died and is now with the father, we too have died with Christ and we too are with the father. And so therefore, the same power, and I know people get nervous when I say this, but the same power, the same dominion, the same authority that Christ has, you and I now have it too. The issue is we don't always realize it and then we don't always choose to walk in that power. But that's why Jesus himself said, you shall do greater works than these. Why? He said, because I'm going back to the father, but you're going to have mo most of us have more time on earth than Jesus did. He had 33 and a half years. Well, I'm 50. So, so he said, you ought to be doing greater works. You ought to be doing more than, than, than what it is that, that, I, that I did when I was here because you have the same power because you died with me and you were resurrected with me. OK, so reason number one, Paul says that we should not continue in sin because, number one, we died to sin. What's the second reason? He said, well, the second reason is because you are now alive to God. You didn't just die and stay there. You died to sin, but now you're alive to God. What does it mean to be alive to God? It means that sin does not have reign over us. Again, he illustrates this in verse 12. Who we are when we consider ourselves to be dead in sin, can now we can now choose not to let it reign in us. When we understand who we are in Christ, we can say, you know what? I may have had a thought to do that, but that ain't me. That's the old me. The new me would never do that. This newness of life that I have, Christ would never do that. I'm in Christ. I have the power not to do that. Why? Because we have been given that opportunity. We are no longer debtors to sin. We are no longer. Jesus paid that debt. The Bible says that uh, to us in Romans chapter 8. In Romans chapter 8, verse 12 through 13. You've probably read this before. It says, therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. We ain't in debt to the flesh no more. We used to be, but praise God, we aren't anymore. Verse 13 says, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. It says, but, and I love that but, it says, but if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, then praise God, you will live. Praise God. He said, if you will crucify, if you will kill off your flesh, you will find yourself really living. If you will kill off your flesh, you will find yourself truly living. Our bodies can now become our instruments of righteousness rather than instruments of unrighteousness. So in other words, rather than using my body to sin, I can use my body now for the kingdom of God to be a blessing to myself and to others. We can present our bodies to God as alive from the dead, as instruments of righteousness to him. In other words, we can now glorify him even with our bodies, even with our bodies. Well, pastor, how do I glorify God with my body? Let's say that you're not married, okay? And I know society says, oh man, everybody's doing it, so fornication ain't that big a deal no more. 
everybody's fornicating or everybody's committing adultery or everybody's doing all kind of deviant sex acts. But you say, wait, I've read in the word that God says I shouldn't do those things. So even though your friends and everybody else you know may be out there getting it in and doing whatever they want to do, you go, nope, I'm going to do it God's way. I'm going to obey God. I'm going to do it God's way. And even though my flesh wants to participate in these activities, I'm going to crucify this flesh. I'm going to kill it so that I can live. Even though everybody else is drinking and getting drunk, everybody else smoke weed, everybody else does all these, whatever, pick your sin, right? Nothing's bigger than, than the other, but whatever it is that, that, that your flesh wants to do that you know you shouldn't do, what are you going to do? Are you going to choose to obey the sinful desires of your flesh or are you going to choose to do it God's way? He says, because the moment you make the decision to crucify that flesh, you start to live. You start to live. You crucify your flesh. You kill off that thing that's antithetical to God and you begin to live. Okay. God's grace doesn't give us a license to sin. What it does is it frees us from the dominion of sin. If you don't get anything else I talk about today, hear me when I say that. Hear me when I say that. God's grace does not give us a license to sin. God's grace frees us from the dominion of sin. Sin no longer needs to be our master. In Christ, we have been set free. Somebody ought to give God some praise this morning. You ought to go ahead and type that in the comment section. Say, in Christ, I have been set free. In Christ, I have been set free. Listen, I don't know where you are right now. I don't know if you're driving. I don't know if you're in your house. But you ought to give God about a five-second praise break. You ought to clap your hands. You ought to lift your hands. You ought to just open your mouth. It may seem strange. You may be in a cafe right now drinking on your coffee and sitting around. But you ought to just open up your mouth and say, God, I thank you for setting me free. God, I appreciate it. I thank you for setting me free. I thank you that I'm not bound to have to live according to the sinful desires of my flesh. I get to choose. I can choose to obey that sinful desire. Or I can choose to do it your way. Thank you for the freedom of choice. Thank you, God, so much for setting us free, right? So that's reason number two why we don't have to continue in sin, because we're alive to God. We are alive. We're not, we're, not, we're not dead and separated from God any longer because of the sins of our life. No, no, no. We've been, we died with Christ. We were resurrected with Christ. And now we are alive to God. And then number three, number three, why we don't have to continue to live in sin. Number three is because we are to be slaves of righteousness. We want to be like the apostle Paul. We want to make ourselves. We're going to, the, the Bible says you're going to serve somebody. The Bible says you can't serve two masters. He says, if you serve two masters, you're going to end up loving one and do what? Hate the other. He said, because you can't serve two. So in this case, all we got is righteousness and unrighteousness. You're going to serve one. He says, if you're not careful, sin is going to try to dominate you. Okay, it's going to try to come in and make you live a lifestyle of excess, make you live a lifestyle of erroneous living. He says, but you can choose by having throne room realities and, and, and by relocating yourself mentally and knowing who you are in Christ. He says you can relocate yourself and you can choose, praise God, to become a slave of righteousness. That's what he talks about in verse 19. Grace is no excuse to sin. 
We are either slaves or of sin or we will be slaves of, of, of righteousness. If we continue in sin, we once again become the slaves of sin. And we see this because this is what happens in John 8, 34. They asked Jesus a question and Jesus answered, most assuredly, I say unto you, whoever commits sin, this is Jesus talking, he says, is a slave to it. He says, if you, if, if, if you, if you commit it, you become, it becomes your master. He says, but you don't have to allow sin to be your master. For Christians continue uh, in sin makes things worse. It's one thing not to know. It's another thing to know and to continue down that path. And so we have to make sure that we aren't doing that because we want to be slaves to righteousness, not unrighteousness. When we were slaves in sin, we really didn't have a choice. We were kind of just dominated by it. We just we just sinned because it was natural. You ever notice this? You never have to teach a baby to lie. It's amazing. Nobody teaches a baby to lie or teaches a kid to lie. It becomes natural. Why? Because they, they're being dominated by sin. It, wrongdoing is not something that's, that's, that has to be taught. It almost becomes a, a, a thing that we innately know. Why? Because we're being dominated by sin. But we are to strive for righteousness like we once served sin. He says we need to be serving righteousness in that automatic way like we used to serve sin. We used to serve sin automatically. We were proficient at it. We were good at it. He says, now that you've been born again, he says, serve righteousness in that same way. And then lastly, number four, the reason that we don't have to continue in sin is because we understand that to do so, that the wages of sin is death. Paul says, don't continue in sin because sin doesn't have a good reward. Sin doesn't have a good outcome. He says, make sure he says that you're not serving sin because sin does not have a good reward because the wages of sin is death. He says in verse 20 and 21, he says the fruit of slavery to sin is indeed death. And such death, when we talk about it, is not always physical. OK, now, when I was growing up, they used to teach this in such a way that it was like if you sinned, you died. And, and that can't happen. Disobedience can cost you your life. It absolutely can. But, but just as tragic is you living with a separation from God. And separation from God is also death. Separation from God is also death. And if you're not careful, you can find yourself living a life that has been separated from God. And living a life separated from God is like living death because nothing good comes of it. Living in sin separates us from God, but dying to sin will separate us for eternity. So it's important that you understand that, you know, you can you can get this false teaching and, 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 and OK, maybe you believe God as your savior. But if you don't place him as Lord over your life, you will live like hell on earth. And God wants us to live days of heaven on earth. And so as a result, he wants us to understand that to follow after sin is to follow after death. It's why the Apostle Paul encouraged his believers and the people who were in the churches that he established and the people who fellowshiped there. He says, I need you that no matter what, that you live your life as worthy as the gospel of Christ that you have received. He said, I need you to live your life that way.
It's important for us to understand that it is by God's grace that we have been set free from sin. Again, Paul says, shall we continue in sin so that grace may abound? And he had a resounding answer in verse two, Romans chapter six. He says, God forbid. It is by his grace that we can now be slaves to God through continued obedience. And somebody says, well, I don't want to be a slave to nobody. You're going to be a slave to someone. You are either going to be a slave to unrighteousness or you are going to be a slave to righteousness. There is no middle ground. There is no, I don't want either one of those. You will by either choice or default, pick one of them. And so you got to choose to make yourself a slave of righteousness. How do I do that? Through obedience. Through obedience, by finding out what the word of God has to say, and then by following through, by living my life according to what the word says, not according to what society is trying to push off on us. Amen. By his grace, we can bear the fruit of holiness, which turn, which in turn leads to eternal life. Okay. We can bear holiness. The Bible says in Peter, be ye holy for I am holy. What does it mean to be holy? It's not about what you what you wear. It's not about wearing makeup or not wearing makeup. It's not about cutting your hair a certain way or not cutting your hair. It's not about how long your dress is. It's not about whether you wear a certain thing on your head or not. That, that, no, no, no. That, that's not holiness. Holiness is living according to God's standard. How do you live according to a standard that you do not know? It's almost impossible. So you need to read God's word. You need to study God's word. And I, and I, as a pastor, I tell you, study it for yourself. Don't just listen to me. Don't just listen to Pastor Ralph. Don't just listen to Pastor Sean. Don't just listen to Minister Chandra or Pastor Chris, Elder Valley, or anybody else who ministers in this ministry. Read it for yourself. If you don't understand it in the King James, get you a different version. Get you the Mirror Bible. Get you the New Living Testament. Get you the, the NIV. Get you the Voice. Get you God's Word. Get you the Easy Read. There is no excuse for believers to not understand what God's Word says in today's time, right? We have to choose it. We have to engage it for ourselves. And when we do, I tell you, we come out better than we ever started. Amen. Listen, I'm done. That's my teaching for today. Like living a lifestyle of righteousness, being dead to sin and understanding grace. Don't let anybody fool you into thinking that grace is a license to sin because it's not. Just because we've been given an opportunity to, to die with Christ and to be resurrected with him, that does not give us a license to just live any old kind of way we want to. Amen. Listen, I hope you guys have a blessed week. Make sure that you're joining us this week. As you know, we go through our uh, announcements. On Monday, we start with Strategies for Success at 12 o'clock with Pastor Sean. On Tuesday night at 8 p.m., we have prayer. On Wednesday at 7 p.m., we have Ignite. At 8 p.m., Pastor Ralph comes and does uh, Refresh. On Thursdays, we don't have anything. On Friday, you come and we have Champion Circle at 6.30 a.m. And then on, on, sun, on Sunday mornings, Pastor Chris and Elder Valley comes and leads us in worship. And then Pastor Sean and I will be back here. Same bat time, same bat station at 9.30 a.m. every Sunday. Don't forget to join us on July 31st for the huddle. Don't forget to give to the scholarship fund. Don't forget to read your word. Don't forget our four commitments, right? Remember, we decided at the beginning of this year that we had four commitments. We would read our word daily. After that, we said we would commit to not miss a service. We're going to show up every time. We're going to spend time praying in the Holy Spirit each day, an hour a day, for however you choose to do that. 
five minutes at a time, an hour at a time, or any intro in between or whatever you want to do. And then we were going to be committed to taking communion more often. If you come to the huddle, you can take communion with us. We'll do that on July 31st. Come with us. Let's be, be a part. Those of you who say you are part of this ministry, come if you can. And not just if it's convenient, make your way. Make your way here Sunday, July 31st for the huddle. And so we can uh, enjoy the fruits of our labor by giving in our scholarships together. Amen. Listen, you guys be blessed. You guys have a wonderful day. And let me not forget, you don't want to forget to sow. You don't want to forget to sow. I know there's a lot of teaching out there about whether somebody should tithe or not. Here's what I tell you. Let's take the word tithing off the table. That's fine. Let's be grace givers. What does it mean to be grace givers? Every time you find in the Bible where people started to give by grace, they gave so much, the priest or the man or woman of God that they were given to had to ask them to stop. If you've never given so much that somebody had to ask you to stop, you haven't tapped out yet. So I don't care whether you call it tithe. I don't care whether you call it first fruit. I don't care whether you call it grace giving. Listen, the true fact of the matter, if you want to be technical, the tithe was much more than 10%. If you look at all the tithes that they gave in the Old Testament, they was given 23, almost 30, 23 and a third percent, I think it was. Listen, all I'm saying to you is hear God. Hear God about your giving. That's all we've ever said at Fellowship of Champions. Now, we say it like this. We have a church of 100 percent tithers. I believe that. I believe that the people who are true partners are tithers. We may have many more people who go to church here, but we have 100 percent tithers in our true partners at FOC. So how do you tithe? How do you give? How do you sow? You can see it on your screen there. You can give to Givelify. You can give via push pay. You can give via tithing. You can even text to give by simply texting the number 833-969-0897. Or you can give via PayPal if you are an international partner. If you're an international partner and you're giving your tithe and your offerings, you can use PayPal or any of those other methods. Now, you heard me say earlier that if you wanted to give to the scholarship, you could give via PayPal. That is true because there are people who are not partners of our ministry who want to give to the scholarship fund. And we want them to have all of those options available to them. So if you're giving to the scholarship fund, you can give via PayPal if you're not a partner of the ministry. But we're asking all of our partners to use those other methods, Givelify, PushPay, Tithely and text to give, to give of your tithe, to give of your offering, and to the scholarship. And those of you who keep saying, oh, I'm going to give, I'm going to give, I'm going to give, come on, let's go. Let's not wait till the ninth hour to have to pull out the $100,000 stock. Let's go ahead and make that goal so we can make that announcement as soon as we can. I need you to do it. And if you pray and ask God what to give, he'll do it for you. I'm a witness. He's doing it for me and he's already did it for somebody else. There was someone who decided that they wanted to give a full scholarship. They wanted to give a full scholarship and they made that commitment. And, and, and through listening to the Holy Spirit, they literally made a, a couple of trades in the stock market and got a return so big that they funded not just one scholarship, but one and a third scholarships. Right. Because if you ask God to do something, and it, he will do it for you if your heart is to do it because it's, it's going to be a blessing to him and to others. Amen. So God bless you all. Have a wonderful day. Thank you for joining us. Those of you who are watching this on the replay, make sure you hit replay and let us know that you saw it. Share it. Put it on your story. Uh, share it in groups where it can be a blessing to other people so we can get the word to everybody that grace is not a license to sin. Amen. God bless you. You guys have a great day.